The all-new Hyundai 2024 Santa Fe is equipped with everything you need to break free from the dull work week and embark on an adventurous weekend with your family. The all-new Hyundai Santa Fe's features like available H-Track all-wheel drive, standard third-row seating, available dual wireless charging pads ensure you can take on any adventure. Available H-Track all-wheel drives so you can take on the dirt trails and kick up some mud. Standard third-row seating so your whole family can experience the thrill together. Available dual wireless charging pads so no one gets stuck in the great outdoors with a dead phone. Whether you're tailgating out in the dirt lot, Carter Finley, shout out Carter Finley, or whether you're whitewater rafting, taking the entire family on an adventurous trip, maybe you're out camping at Mount Rogers. I used to go as a kid, wish my parents had a Hyundai Santa Fe. The Hyundai Santa Fe is perfect for your family outing. Learn more about the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe at HyundaiUSA.com. Call 562-314-4603 for complete details. What's up, everybody? Welcome to the Pick 6 Podcast, CBS Sports Daily NFL Podcast. I'm Will Brinson. I'm your host. It is Thursday, April 21st, seven days from the draft, if you are listening to this podcast. If you're watching on YouTube, it is actually eight days away. It is uh, 4.20, which is like, uh, I don't know what it means, but they, people keep saying it. Um, anywho, the, uh, joining me to talk about draft stuff, because it's you know eight days or seven days away from the draft, Mr. Paso and Josh Edwards. What's up, fellas? What's going on? <laughs> wow. I never I never know who I never know who's supposed to talk first when I okay. That. So I always just defer to Josh. For future reference, it's whoever I say first. Ah, okay. That's good to know. That's like a host. In, fact, trip, in my right? head, I panicked. I was like, do I say Josh first or traps first? So, <laughs> <laughs> okay, traps. Now I'll know. Um, it's good to know like a week out from the draft because we're going to be seeing a lot of each other. Yeah, a lot of each other. Are we going to be down in Florida? Do you guys think we'll? Yeah. Uh, you guys think we'll go to Jester's? You ever been to Jester's? I have no, I have no idea where no. we're going. No, no. no. Have, have, you guys, have you guys ever been to Jester's down in Fort Lauderdale? No, this will be my first time. I mean, I started three years ago, and we immediately went into a uh, pandemic. Indeed. So uh, this will be well, my first time. Well, then we have to go to Jester's. You think your throat hurts now, Josh? Because you got some like kidney <laughs> crud. Where do you spend three hours in Jester's? You want me to breathe for you have to burn your clothes. It's like, it's, it's just like, you just reek of cigs. Oh, it's so disgusting. It's like Tom Fernelli's favorite place on the planet, <laughs> which says a lot about Tom. Anywho, uh, check if you're, if you're living in Fort Lauderdale, stop by Jester's and have a, uh, dollar 50 Coors Light with us on, uh, on one of those nights <laughs> after the draft. Uh, any, uh, before we get into the draft stuff, actually, let's, let's talk about Debo Samuel because as reported by Jeff Darlington, of ESPN on Wednesday afternoon, Debo Samuel, like the do it all running back who was featured as a, or do it all wide receiver, excuse me, who was featured as a running back in Kyle Shanahan's system, who put up massive numbers and is due for a huge contract extension, has requested a trade from the San Francisco 49ers in like, I mean, Okay, like we got, you know, it's like, all right, we have the 15 biggest shocking things of an NFL offseason. I don't know. Let's add one more and have Debo Samuel request a trade. Adam Schefter reported on Tuesday that the 49ers were perfectly fine with paying Debo Samuel whatever he wanted. Like, just take take the money, and Debo didn't want it. The reason a deal hadn't happened is Debo doesn't want to play for the 49ers. Um, 
we'll get into the draft ramifications of this, but I'm curious, Traps, I mean, what's your sort of, you know, just, you know, initial reaction to the idea that Debo Samuel wants out of San Francisco? Yeah, there has to be more to this than just a contract disagreement because we've seen not only a bunch of receivers move this offseason, marquee wide receivers, but we've also seen like Stefan Diggs get a gigantic extension and Christian Kirk make over 20 million per year, average per year. Uh, so it, it seems like if he really wanted it, based on those Schefter reports from last week, that Debo Samuel could probably get really any type of money that he wanted. So I wonder if leading into the draft, and there's always those juicy reports on the night of the draft, uh, that we may hear more about what is going into Debo Samuel not wanting to be with the 49ers, a team that you know he's blossomed into this multifaceted wideout, running back, hybrid. Uh, and there hasn't really been anything in the Kyle Shanahan's past or John Lynch's past where they're like anti-player coaches or GMs. Like they, they seem to be pretty well-liked by their players. So I, I, I'm really interested to see if something else comes out related to this report-wise, why Debo Samuel doesn't want to play for a perennial playoff contender in the 49ers. Yeah, I mean, Josh, the thing, too, is like, <clears throat> excuse me, not only is it a, you know, a, a successful team, but like he's perfect in Kyle Shanahan's system. Absolutely. I mean, is it a I, – I can't believe I'm su- suggesting this, but um, is it a Jimmy Garoppolo thing? I mean, it could be. Um, you know, this is all very fresh as we came on here, but I think one thing that I saw was that he has an issue with his usage in San Francisco's offense, which – would be completely surprising to me because I think they've been about as creative as you could possibly be uh, in the ways that you use Debo Samuel. So um, not a lot of this is making sense right now. Uh, I actually did a story on kind of the changing of the wide receiver markets uh, in recent years because prior to DeAndre Hopkins's $27.25 million contract extension um, in terms of annual value, we had seen just five wide receivers picked in the first round in the two years prior. In the two years since that extension, we've had 11 wide receivers picked um, in those two years in the first round. And now we're looking at at least five, probably six, maybe even seven in the first round of this year's draft. So I think we're kind of starting to see some of these teams uh, looking at the money that's being given to these wide receivers and seeing a greater opportunity to draft young and bring in some new some new faces. I mean, I don't want to um, poo-poo y'all's uh, points here at all because you guys are, you know, you come on the podcast, you don't get paid any extra for it. You have to deal with me being late all the time. Um, but, like, I really don't think this is about the money. Yeah. I mean, you know, I mean, like, and I do, certainly there are going to be some issues coming up, and we talked about this a lot on this podcast, but the DeAndre Hopkins contract was an outlier. It was a restructure that caused his money to get up to $27.5 million per year. And because, you know, alpha receivers just, you know, say, I I don't care how you dummy up this contract. I want to get more than Hopkins. Devontae Adams and Tyreek Hill both did that. And so now you have this, like, weird situation with A.J. Brown, D.K. Metcalf eventually, um, Debo Samuel, all these guys who are Terry McLaurin, who are up for after the third year, who can be extended – like they don't want to be like, well, we'll just take twenty-two million. You know, I feel like I'm like a you know tenth or eleventh you know, best wide receiver in football. No, nobody's going to do that if you think you're the best receiver in football. But I don't think this is about the money for Debo. I think it's there's something else going on here, and it's very bizarre. It, it maybe if it's the usage, like, I mean, he turned into one of the most exciting players in professional football last year. Like, 
there are three or four wide receivers that you can have casual conversations about. And he jumped into that discussion because he's running out of the backfield and scoring all these touchdowns. And so like, I, I, I guess I don't, I don't get it. It, it, maybe the 49ers approached him about a a deal that you know was like oh well you're kind of a running back too so i mean it, it, that could that could have been you know potentially you know a, a you know speed bump for for contract negotiations i don't know but um it you know he's not guaranteed be, he's not guaranteed to be traded however if he were traded traps what uh what what landing spots do you think would work for debo well, I think the Jets have to be the first team that you would circle because they were, you know, down to the wire apparently in that Tyreek Hill trade. Uh, the Saints, uh, the Packers would make sense. It seems like if the Chiefs oh, are God. wanting to transition, Packers. I know, seriously. Well, they need it, but if the Chiefs are are, are ready to transition, and and there were some reports after they traded Tyreek Hill that they want to transition with Juju Smith Schuster to like a bigger yards after the catch type wide receivers, that type of offense. Debo Samuel is probably the ultimate guy to be in that offense with that new philosophy. If that is the case, they have the, the, the two first round picks. They have a bunch of extra selections, like in the top hundred, top 150. I could see Brett Veach swinging for the fences there and, and uh, bringing in Debo Samuel. The only weird part would be like, is he going to ultimately just pay him as much as Tyreek Hill? Like that seems to be a little weird. The one theory that's popped into my head about maybe, what could be the underlying issue for Debo Samuel? Maybe they've told him, hey, hey Trey Lance is going to take over, and maybe either Debo one is not really that sold on Trey Lance from watching him in practice last year and you know those few relief appearances, or they're, they've told him, we're going to use Trey Lance in the run game, in the design run game a lot. You're not going to see as many carries and high percentage throws in your direction because we're going to incorporate Trey Lance as kind of that running threat when without Jimmy Garoppolo, you know, you needed that other element in the running game. And that's where Debo Samuel had over 1,800 yards last year. That could be his usage may not be the same going forward. And I think maybe he likes to be that multifaceted kind of pioneer at this new position. I think that the Packers and the Chiefs are fascinating landing spots for Debo for Samuel. Sure. Because obviously the Packers have Alan Lazard and... um how am I playing? No one. Uh, what's that? <laughs> no one. Pretty right. much no one. Well, Sammy, Watkins. Sammy Watkins. Sammy Watkins is who they signed. I was like, who did they sign? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Um, about him. But like Sammy Watkins didn't even guarantee to make the team out of training camp. Um, the problem is I don't see how if you're San Francisco, you can reasonably trade Debo Samuel to the Packers. It feels like <laughs> they have played each other in the like in the playoffs like five times. It just always feels like Shanahan's up against Matt LaFleur. You trade Debo Samuel to Matt LaFleur and, and let Aaron Rodgers have Debo, and he's going to wreck shop in, in Green Bay, and it could potentially be you know, a, uh, an impediment to you making it back to the Super Bowl or making it you know, advancing in the playoffs. The Chiefs, you know, you don't want to have to deal with facing Debo in the Super Bowl, but the Chiefs would – I mean, in a heartbeat, the Chiefs give up a first-round pick for Debo, right? Yeah. Is Absolutely. It, is it more I think he, he, he's probably more than a first, though. I think just one first is not enough. Yeah. I don't know if it's two first, though. That's kind of steep for I mean, because he's due a big contract. But the Chiefs have like a bunch of picks on day two, right? Like they have Yeah, because they got those they got those second round picks from um Miami. They have yeah, they have 50 and 62. Then in round three, 94 and 103. So, okay, so if wait, I'm Red Veach, I'm do they have 29 and 30? Which one? 
Do they have 29 29, 30 29 30 and then in the second round 50 62 in the third round 94 and 103 so if i'm brett veach i'm calling san francisco and saying you know i'll give you one of those first and then you take your pick from those extra day two picks and is that enough for debo samuel seeing as though we're going to have to give him a contract pretty close to you know what we ultimately gave tyree kill but that's what i would offer and i think that would seem kind of fair based on what we've seen at the wide receiver market this offseason so um, using the Rich Hill uh, of uh, Pat's pulpit trade chart, 30 is worth 196 and 50 is worth 115. So 196 plus 115 gives you 311 points, which is roughly in between 15th overall and 16th overall. I think that's kind of fair. Yeah, I do too. Because remember, we're talking about these teams who, you know, not to conflate, issue here by pointing out that Debo, producer Debo, um, you know, has, has, has noted that the Eagles could take a wide receiver you know, with one of those first-round picks. The Saints are certainly in the market for a wide receiver. Even with the contractual you know, obligations that you're going to have to Debo Samuel, I mean, if you told me I can either draft uh, like Garrett Wilson at 15 or get Debo Samuel at 15, I mean, it's a no-brainer you take Debo Samuel, right? Yeah, for me. And I think it comes back to the Jets, you know, at the end of the day, maybe they give up number 10 overall and maybe they get a, no, but maybe they get a little bit in return as well. Maybe it's um, number 10 overall uh, for Debo Samuel and a little bit more or something like that, considering the salary cap um, implications. But I well, think it I mean, makes just, a lot of just, I was going to say just to your point, um, San Fran has 61. 61 is their first pick. Yeah. Yeah. I wonder if they could get away with giving up uh, one of five is probably like you get 10, 10 for Debo and one of five. Is that, is that, does that work? Or I mean, even a future pick, you know, it doesn't, it doesn't, you know, whatever they decide is, is fair compensation, but the jets have already shown their cards. You know, they tried to get Tyree kill and that obviously did not work. Um, it's a similar offensive scheme. You've got Robert Sala there who, as far as I know, is on good terms with um, San Francisco having been there before. So that makes a lot of sense to me because I think the Jets are probably going to use that number 10 overall pick on a wide receiver regardless, and you already have a known commodity um, in Debo Samuel. Now, the other side of this is we've already seen Tyree Kill and Devontae Adams force trades to their homes where they wanted to be. Maybe Debo Samuel just wants to come back to Carolina. God, maybe he just nobody wants to. Nobody wants to. No Panthers stop. No Panthers stop. Nobody. I applaud you for uh, warming the Panthers into this podcast, Josh. Um, God knows we haven't had enough. By the way, I think the Panthers are out on a quarterback now. I'm convinced mm-hmm. that they're going offensive line. I kind of, I trading I kinda back. Too. I think they're going to. You back. see what happens when you mention Carolina? I'm immediately like, Bob, number six. By the way, um, uh, also just totally random, but. Uh, so Daniel Jeremiah is going to do NFL Live, and Mel Kuyper is going to do NFL Total Access. Have you seen the photo that they uh, that the NFL Network or NFL Media sent out? They took Daniel Jeremiah's face and attached Mel Kuyper's hair. Nice, and it's like <laughs> it is absolutely <laughs> Mel Kuyper's face and DJ's hair. And it's uh, okay. Look at look, I mean, look at look at oh my look, God. Look, oh my. Kuyper's like hair is absolutely completely best. different. It's yeah, the most famous hair in in, in NFL media, I think. Still, uh, that's probably right. Right. Yeah. Is there anyone else that's really that has like that's like known for their hair? 
I think Kuiper's that that slicked back Dracula look has been slicked going strong for thirty years. It is. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Um, One last somebody, thing on Debo, uh, Michael Fleur was in. Oh, no, 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 no. He's saying that they have twenty nine thirty, not uh, not that they would give up twenty nine thirty. I mean, I don't know, man. If you're the Jets and you've been trying to get like Tyreek Hill is an incredible wide receiver, of course, but the Jets were trying to get Tyreek Hill in order to accentuate what Zach Wilson does, which you know, throw down the field. I think they're better off getting Debo Samuel, who, you know, similar scheme fit, right? Because you have um, Mike LaFleur is your, is your OC there in, in, in New York with the Jets. And if I'm trying to make Zach Wilson's life easier, I don't want somebody who's just running vertical routes and may, having him like try and bomb it as deep as possible. I want somebody who's getting open underneath and picking up yeah. yak. And that's Debo's specialty. Well, I feel like right now, Mike LaFleur is probably going nuts, like wanting to trade for Debo Samuel because he was in San Francisco with Debo Samuel. If there's anyone that's an offensive coordinator calling the plays that would know how to deploy Debo better than Kyle Shanahan, it's probably Mike LaFleur who's calling those plays there uh, with the Jets. And with the Jets, you know, I mean, not you know, not to disparage the Jets, but it's like, like all right, we're probably not going to get, you know, we're probably not going to run into Debo in the playoffs anytime soon. So, you <laughs> know, we, let's, let's send him to New York. Um, any other landing spots? I'm just trying to sort of – the Carolina one's not crazy, I guess. I just think the Pan- – like, I don't I don't know if the Panthers have the assets to pull it off, though. Because all they have is six. Um, oh, you know what the perfect landing spot is for it? Well, I don't know if it necessarily qualifies now that Josh McDaniels is gone, but I mean, I said the Patriots. The Patriots. Diva Samuel was a Patriots player coming out of that draft. I kept mocking him to the Pats over and over and over again, and then they freaking took him, kill Harry, and Diva Samuel mm. was great. Um, all right, so that's the Diva Samuel stuff. Uh, if you got a good uh, landing spot, feel free to let us know. We're gonna take a break and talk about some more wide receivers in the draft next just kidding we're not going to talk about wide receivers i, I can't read i can't read it i checked my notes i was like are we talking receivers today what is happening here we're talking defense um i it, it, it really is like some ron burgundy fa- like factor here where like you know I, like it's like i look and it says wide receivers like parentheses ryan i'm like all right ryan what do you think about your top receiver you're like Will, it's me, Chris. That's <laughs> like, it's not an impressive feature. It's really it's it's uh like Wilson, I was just gonna say it's it's not a bug, it's a feature. Um let's talk. I'm trying to make sure I do this right. Let's uh, let's talk edge rankings first. Traps, you have your top five edge players in this draft. Have we just eliminated um like have we just I mean I feel like everybody's on board with edge. I, kinda, I like it. Yeah, this is one of Draft Twitter's like greatest achievements that for the longest time, before I was at CBS, everyone in the Draft Twitter sphere was just saying edge, edge. Stop saying 3-4 outside linebacker, 4-3 defensive end. They all got to play on the edge. So yeah, I, I think everyone is like a general consensus now that it's just edge rushers. Like, are you guys cool with that? Because I'm definitely cool with it. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, by the way, uh, for whatever it's worth, just on the Circle back on Debo Samuel. Um, Ian Rappaport tweeted out, Rap Sheet tweeted out, uh, the Jets, the Packers, the Chiefs, and the Lions. Oh. Lions are spicy. 32 I, overall? Yeah, probably yeah, 32 overall and, and something else. 32 and 34 yeah. for Debo? There you go. That might be too much. But, but if there's a bidding war, it could end up happening. Anyway, your top yeah. five edge players. 
my my top are. five edge players, Aiden Hutchinson at one, Kayvon Thibodeau at two. I have a little bit of a curveball, Arnold Abacady from Penn State at three, George Karloftis, Josh's guy at four, and Boye Mafe at five. I think with Arnold Abacady being that surprise selection at three, he's a little bit smaller. He's like 6'3", 250, but he gives you a lot of what Aiden Hutchinson does just at a smaller size. He's got pass rushing moves speed to power conversion, Ben, he really checks all the boxes for me. I have a first round grade actually on all of these edge rushers. Boye Mafe is my number 32 overall player in this draft class. Most notably, I'm way lower on Trevon Walker. He's my buyer beware prospect more so than anyone else in this draft class and Jermaine Johnson from Florida state. And I think the Jermaine Johnson one has probably gotten me more heat than the Trevon Walker one because, uh, Jermaine Johnson had a really good season at Florida State. His highlight reel is fantastic. I just think he's a little stiff around the corner uh, and, and is good in a face-up situation, but I don't know if he's bending the edge, winning with a variety of pass rushing moves. I, I like Trevon Walker. I like Jermaine Johnson, but I think outside of my top five and into the second round is where I would feel a lot more comfortable drafting them than where they'll ultimately go. Um, so there's some really interesting stuff going on in the betting market as it relates to these edge guys, because mm -hmm. Aiden Hutchinson, let's bring up old Caesars. Um, Aiden Hutchinson still the favorite to go first overall, but like, I mean, I mean, actually, I guess I don't, I don't think I've said this on the podcast, but um, I don't know if I'm tech. I don't know if I'm technically reporting this, but like, I have a pretty good. Source telling me that Trayvon Walker's going one of the Jaguars. Um, it's not Pete Prisco, you said, right? It's not. No, no, Pete Prisco's like, man, you're taking Evan Neal. Um, <laughs> Evan Neal or Hutchinson, you're crazy. Uh, like, I mean, I, again, I'm not reporting. I, I mean, I'd bet it. I, I would bet it if I were you guys or, you know, anyone who wants to bet Trayvon Walker first overall, I would bet it now. What are um, his odds now? Uh, let's see. It's gotten pretty close. Yeah, it's it's that's what I was gonna say. Is like it's really trimmed down. And then the other thing that's really interesting is that Kayvon Thibodeau to go second overall has gotten absolutely steamed, which wow. is wild because if I'm right and Trayvon Walker goes one, and like, can you imagine Aiden Hutchinson going three? Like, is that is that is that plausible? I really don't think so because I just – I had heard that um, Detroit wasn't as high on Thibodeau as they are Hutchinson. That's kind of why it would be a little surprising to me um, from a talent oh, perspective. Uh, sorry, just, to, uh, just to jump in here, on the first overall pick, Aiden Hutchinson minus 160. That is the cheapest it's been in quite some time. And Trayvon Walker plus 140, the two tackles, 14 to 1. Sorry, Josh, go ahead. From a talent perspective, I can totally understand that. I mean, I, I have Thibodeau rated ahead of Hutchinson um, mm. in this draft class, so I can absolutely understand Ooh. why they might go in that direction at number two. Is um is your order Thibodeau and then Hutch, Josh? Yeah, it is. It is. It's um, Thibodeau. There's a little bit of a gap. Then Hutchinson, Trayvon Walker, uh, George Karlaft is kind of kind of bunched together there. So there's also this. Um... Josh, I I appreciate you fighting through. Like you can tell, you're like, please don't give out as I'm speaking. <laughs> um, I've been there. Usually, usually mine happens when I'm like coming back from a like weekend at like Vegas or Asheville or something like that. But uh, anyway, I digress. Um, 
the other sneaky thing about this number one overall pick that is not being talked about loudly enough is that I don't think that Trent Baalke is going to draft a Jim Harbaugh guy. <laughs> like, I think, I think he hates him. Like, he's, why would he give <laughs> Jim Harbaugh the credit for by drafting a Michigan player number one overall? The and hate like, goes that deep. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. And do you think it's possible that, um, like, Jim Harbaugh is, I mean, potentially poisoning Hutchinson against Trent Baalke? You know I mean, like, that's not that crazy, right? No, I, I don't think it is. I think those two, with what happened in San Francisco, uh, how successful they were, and then Harbaugh is out, Balky survived for a little bit longer. I think, yeah, that could certainly be a thing where neither of those two want Aiden Hutchinson to go number one overall, which if you're evaluating prospects, you probably don't want something like that uh, factoring into your consideration. And it wouldn't even be crazy if right now the Jaguars don't even know what they're going to do. Like They're going to not know yeah. until Thursday, April 28th. There was, um, yeah, I mean, I think that there's a, I, I, I think I think it's entirely plausible that the Jaguars have not decided what they're going to do. And, like, you got to remember, too, when you're talking about um, these number one overall picks, it's not just as simple as Trent Baalke's like, all right, we're going to Trayvon Walker, and that's it. You know, you have to run, when it's the number, first round picks, you are running by the owner. Like, you have to go to the owner and say, here's what we're thinking, this is why it's going to work. The, um, I thought it was interesting that Lance Zierlein uh, pointed out, the, and I think I, maybe I noticed this with Wilson, but he, he was like, I'm telling you, he's like, I got some really good info on Trayvon Walker going one to the Jaguars. And then he's like, and then like a follow-up, he's like, and then I heard like four people saying the exact same thing that I was told, which is, you know, it's like an Uno reverse smoke screen where suddenly you're not sure if what you're being told is actually the good info and maybe it's them trying to prop up like I don't know what the point of the Jaguars propping like why I, the smoke screening at one makes no sense, but then again the Jaguars make no sense. So it reminds me of when Dave Gettleman in 2018 was like, "We are picking Saquon Barkley at two, and everyone's like, "Yeah, right." They're going Sam Darnold, Josh Allen, and then the next year we love Daniel Jones. We're going to pick him at six, and everyone's like, "No way, you're not picking Daniel Jones at six. And Dave Gettleman like did that reverse psychology where he was like, "I'm picking." These players that I told you I was going to pick the whole time, no one believed me. Not the best decision for Dave Gettleman, those two selections, and this could be the same with Trevon Walker at one. Yeah, I mean, the other thing about Trevon Walker, and you see Debo's got it up on the screen, if you're watching on YouTube, youtube.com slash pick six, um, he ran. He has the fastest 40-yard dash by a player 270 pounds or more at the, at the combine since 2000. And the other guys, uh, you know, right behind him, he had four five one forty, which is just ridiculous. Uh, Nick crazy. Perry four five five, Ziggy Ansa four five six, Adelius Thomas four five six, and Rashawn Gary four five eight. Like, I don't know that you would definitely say that all of those guys have been elite in their careers, but all of those guys have been pretty productive. And you know, the the thing that you hear from Trip Balky is it just comes back to that Alden Smith comp, and he took Alden mm -hmm. Smith over Cameron Jordan and you know JJ Watt. And like, at least until Alden Smith got in trouble off the field, it wasn't that terrible of a decision. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And actually from that graphic, my comparison for Trevon Walker is Ziggy Ansah. I think they're so similar. The combines are similar coming out of BYU. Ziggy Ansah was like, doesn't really know what he's doing on the field, but you just saw him go so high in the draft to the Lions, what in the top five. Uh, in that 2013 draft class because the talent was through the roof. He didn't know how to use his hands. The pass rushing moves weren't there yet. That's how I feel about Trevon Walker. And I think 
if you pick Ziggy Ansa at one overall, would the Jaguars be happy with that? Like you mentioned, like he had a good career, but not amazing. Uh, I guess maybe I'm not the, the, the perfect person to kind of prop up Trevon Walker at one. Cause I'm so low on, on him, but I, I just feel like he's a Ziggy Ansa type from his athleticism to just how he plays on the football field. Well, and when you, when you pop him, uh, when you pop Trayvon Walker into mock draftable, um, uh, did it, if you do it at defensive end, Peyton Turner, Janarius Robinson, Ziggy Ansa, the third, Preston Smith, Daniel Hunter, Joe Tryon, Emmanuel Agba, Jadavion Clowney. Good players. Gaines Adams and Robert Quinn. I mean, that's a, like, that's, that's the kind of comp and, and all, and Quinn is at like 69.3. So they're all pretty, I mean, like, that's the, that's the kind of comps you want. I know he wasn't super productive, but if it stands to reason that the jet, like, I, I, I don't see why they would, why would you smoke screen at one? It doesn't make any damn sense. No, it means you're, you're just being a jerk. If you're doing that, <laughs> um, any other uh, thoughts on, uh, actually, sorry. Yeah. We're most confident you're in on a player traps. Who, who's your, who, if you're in the field, you feel you're like, this guy's going to be a above average pro or like, maybe not a leap, but just, you know, like I'm confident this guy would be good. Who is it? It's Aiden Hutchinson. And I, I think part of your question would be part of my answer that, I don't know for sure. Like, I don't feel super duper confident that Aiden Hutchinson is going to be like the next Joey Bosa or Nick Bosa, but I feel very confident that he will be that three down defensive end. He'll be a a six to 10 sack guy at at the very least. Most every season, 40 to to 60 pressure somewhere in that range. The pass rushing moves are too good. The strength is there. I think he actually bends around the corner pretty well. He's not the, the freaky explosive athlete of Kayvon Thibodeau or Trevon Walker or really even Jermaine Johnson. But I just think how refined he is and how he improved all three years at Michigan uh, really leads me to believe that that he will not be a bust. He will be a quality pro at the very worst for the next decade. Josh, do you have a buyer beware for a, an edge player that you, you would be on the lookout for? I think Traps had listed Trayvon Walker, but we already talked about him. Yeah. I mean, maybe that's your answer too. I mean, yeah. certainly he's a riskier or in theory a riskier prospect than – uh, yeah, Hutchinson. Yeah, at one point I may have said Jermaine Johnson, the second from Florida State. Um, I'm still not as high on him as other people, but I would say that he was more of a slow burn for me. Um, I grew to like him a lot more as I watched him more. Um, Trayvon Walker, you know, like Trap said, is is kind of the one that carries a lot more risk because he's going to be asked to do something at the next level that he really hasn't shown to this point. So um, you can get excited about the size and the athletic traits. Um, but we really don't know what the future is going to hold for him. Um, now, as I've said, you know, in the past, I don't see a number one overall caliber prospect in this draft class. So, um, you know, when you're looking to possibly take a guy that could reach that level of, of play, I think Walker is one of the few that has a chance to possibly get there if he does reach um, this unworldly potential that he has. Yeah, I mean, it's it's crazy, man. Like the idea of taking – and then, uh, actually, really quickly, on um, just before we move on from Edge, like Kayvon Thibodeau, as I mentioned, the steam is picking up for number two. I think there's a pretty good chance we could see three Edge players go off in order uh, to start this draft off. And then you have the Jets at four, and they have to decide, do we take one of these offensive linemen or do we go with Sauce Gardner, who I, I certainly think they would be interested in and don't think they'll get him at 10. The... Um, the fascinating thing, I think, is that it's sort of a hot take, but like the two most important or the two most influential players on the entire draft 
or Makai Becton and Laramie Tunsil. Because yeah. they're going to impact what the Jets and the Texans do at three and four. Yeah, absolutely. I think uh, for the Jets, they could really sell their whole organization, their fan base, the media on, hey, we're going to pick Evan Neal here at four because we're not in love with Makai Becton. Larry Tunsil's still good, and the Texans you know, obviously said that they're not going to trade him. I think he's a better player, um, which would lend me to believe that they're probably at three, like you mentioned, just go one, two, three, the best edge rusher that's available. If that is even Aiden Hutchinson, which seems crazy like two weeks ago, if that's the case, I think the Texans, to have that other pick that they got in the Deshaun Watson trade at 13 from the Browns, they could pick Kayvon Thibodeau at three and then you know pick the you know Derek Stingley at 13 or just go best player available there. But, yeah, I, I do think there's a pretty good chance that we'll see edge, edge, and then edge for the first three selections. And yeah. uh, uh, Sorry, go ahead, Josh. I was going to say grab a shovel, a shovel Will, because, uh, you know, you could dig a little deeper there. James Bradbury, Baker Mayfield, two other guys that, Ooh. you know, kind of hold the uh, the cards for draft night. If you uh, feel, free to steal that. feel free to steal that uh, non-draft players who are the most, you know, I mean, yeah. I've yeah, obviously I mean, not write it. I mean, <laughs> it's, it's, it's a good idea. I mean, if Baker is traded to Carolina or Seattle, then you're probably taking them out of the quarterback market. Oh, 100%. Uh, if the Giants trade James Bradbury, then it becomes infinitely more likely that they're to take Derek Stingley Jr. or Sauce Gardner from Cincinnati in the top 10. Agreed. Uh, Traps, give me a sleeper edge guy and a small school standout edge guy. We'll just lump those together for sake okay. of purposes. The sleeper is Tyreek Smith from Ohio State. There was some buzz that he could have been a day two pick last year. If, if you look at his pass rush win rate, it was up there like 20%, which is crazy high. It was higher than a lot of the other top edge rushers that we've been talking about. And then I looked at his pro day and his measurables are actually pretty close to Kayvon Thibodeau. Now on the field, he's not as explosive or bendy, but I think he uses his hands really well. We know those Ohio State defensive ends, are, they're coached so well, and they know how to use their hands. Uh, they have all the pass rushing moves in the arsenal. Tyreek Smith really is getting like zero buzz whatsoever, even like later. I think second or third round, uh, I would be fine with the team picking him. And maybe he's not going to set the edge and be your 700 snap per season defensive end, but just as a pass rushing specialist, I think he gives you a lot right out of the gate. And then small school guy, Dominique Robinson from Miami of Ohio, I believe he was a former wide receiver or tight end. Josh is like really good with those positional uh, switches to like know all of them because there's so many in today's college game. Played on the offensive side, super long, had an over 40-inch vertical at the Miami of Ohio Pro Day, uh, tested really well at the Combine, just needs to get a little bit stronger. He's like 6'4", only 240, 245 pounds, needs to get bigger and stronger to deal with the power that he's going to see at the next level. But I really like his bendiness and his explosiveness. That's really the foundational traits that you want to have at edge rusher. So anywhere maybe as high as the third or the fourth round, I, I would be fine You know, early day three if a team picked Dominique Robinson as that developmental edge rusher. I dig it. Um, let's talk defend, uh, other defensive linemen very quickly. The uh, Traps, give us your top five. It's a non-edge guy, so top five defensive linemen. Yeah, DL is usually just interior defensive linemen uh, that are not going to be standing up on the edge. Tied for first, I have Logan Hall from Houston and Devontae Wyatt from uh, Georgia. I think they're both great pass rushers. Devontae Wyatt's a little bit more of that classic, kind of reminds me of Marcel Darius, to be honest, defensive tackle. Logan Hall is kind of that inside-out type, but really long arms, great pass rusher. And number three, I have Jordan Davis. I'm just lower in general on pure nose tackles. I don't think he 
quite plays to the explosiveness he showed at the combine. I think he's going to play heavier than that and not be quite as quick as he was in Indianapolis. The pass rushing moves aren't really there. He wins with speed through the line and he's, you know, six, seven, 360 pounds. Number four, Fedarian Mathis from Alabama. My only concern with him is that he's a little older. I believe he's 23 or, or about to turn 24 pretty soon. Uh, but the pass rushing moves are there. He's not your classic Alabama uh, defensive lineman in that he can get upfield. He can rush the passer. I like that about his game. And then at number five, Matthew Butler, another one that's an older prospect, um, a little bit like Logan Hall in that he's not 320 pounds. He plays, he can play end, he can play nose tackle, he can move up and down the line. The pass rushing juice is there. I like his hustle, how much of a high motor he has. Feels like a, a third or a fourth round pick. So it's not a great interior defensive line class, but that's my top five. Josh, um, if you want, you may now rake traps over the coals for acting like Jordan Davis is not going to be a superstar at the next level. He's also his buyer beware <laughs> interior defensive lineman. Like, yes. I mean, I probably, I would probably take Jordan Davis with the top 10 pick. Like he's a, he, he, he's 341 pounds and he ran like a four, seven, nine or something like that. Like that's a literal, it's a, I mean, it's not, I'm going to call it a unicorn because, you know, unicorns are usually like smaller and not, you know, <laughs> like gigantic humans. But I mean, man, like, I mean, like, give me Jordan Davis on my team. I'll tell you that much. Well, I'll tell you what. Um, I am exhausted because I've been fighting this battle with Traps and Wilson for so long. Um, you know, I have said that he's got more burst and, and pass rush potential than he's shown at Georgia. Uh, we've talked ad nauseum about that Georgia defensive front and how uh, they use a lot more stunts and loops to create chaos rather than just working up the field vertically. Um, Davis... I will say this. Um, he has been more of a two-down player to this point in his career. Sure. And if he's going to carry that weight, he has lost some weight. So maybe that's part of the emphasis on being more of a three-down player at the next level. But if he's going to have the same playing weight that he has had in college, then it's reasonable to question if he's going to be a two-down player. Um, if he's going to be a two-down player, you would prefer those two downs to be in rundown situations. Uh, that's just more of what his strength is. You can argue up and down about his pass rush potential, but he's a run stuffer all day long. So you want him to be on the field for those two downs. If you are comfortable with where his weight currently is and him sustaining that level and his, and your belief that he could be a three down player, top half of the first round all day long. But if you do not believe that, then I can understand Traps' opinion a little bit more where you're probably looking late uh, day one, possibly even into early day two. I think the um, Chargers would be a fascinating fit for Jordan Davis because they were so bad against a run last year. Like, if you add him, and and I don't think they're necessarily going to take him because, I one, I don't think he'll fall to them, and two, I've heard a lot of chatter about them taking a cornerback. Hmm. I think you can bet that. Do we have, t- do we have a team? You bet, like... Which team drafts who on uh, on Caesar's yet? What position? I don't know if you can bet what position. I feel like there's you can bet a, everything today. So yeah, you there's a can. three to one out there on um somewhere at a different site on uh on the Chargers taking a cornerback. I like that a lot, just from what I've heard. Uh, but Jordan Davis, man, I, I, he's a freak of nature. Uh, credit to Josh Norris, friend of the pod. I heard him talking on uh, around the NFL podcast recently, and he's like, look, there's literally never been anyone like this guy coming into the NFL. I mean, I want I want gigantic 
Godzilla unicorns on my team. Like, give me the Godzilla <laughs> unicorns all day long uh, when it comes to that. Um, Traps, give me a, uh, a, uh, a sleeper at the interior defensive line and then a small school standout. All right, this is a name that I'm excited to talk about when we're in Fort Lauderdale uh, doing our live show. Ioma Uwazirike from Iowa State. He's I'm, an older you, I'm not excited to talk about that. I, I'm excited to hear Brinson uh, try to say that right, when he's see. actually selected. I just want to see if I can do this. Like, Just read it out. Ioma Uwazirike. There you go. So now you got right. it. Now it's in your. Now it's in the back of your mind. You'll be able to spit it out. Oh! Oh! <laughs> um, I love his versatility. 6'6", over 300 pounds. You watch him on film. He's playing edge rusher a lot in a, a, a predominantly three-man front at Iowa State. Uh, but they moved him up and down the line, talked about the lack of pass rushing moves with Jordan Davis. Uazarike has those pass rushing moves. Now he's certainly not a Jordan Davis level athlete, but it, it feels like more defenses want their defensive tackles to be able to move up and down two gap if they need to make plays against the run. Uh, he feels like someone that could go early day three, or it wouldn't surprise me if he's picked way later, but I thought he was very productive in on all three downs at Iowa state older prospect, maybe not a ton of upside, but with Uazarike, it's going to take me some time too. Um, I think he's a hit the, hit the ground running uh, prospect that as a rookie, you know what you're getting. Uh, very high floor with him. I dig it. Um, Josh, let's talk some, uh, some linebackers. Who are your top five linebackers? Or do you want me to read them so you don't have to use up uh, valuable voice time and then you can just analyze? I'll read them. You, you analyze them. Let's do that. Yeah. Uh, Nakobe <laughs> Dean, one. Devin Lloyd, two. Quay Walker, three. Leo Chennault, which like sounds like, I don't know, like somebody who runs a Jewish deli in Manhattan or something like that. <laughs> um, and then Troy Anderson at five for you, your top five linebackers. Uh, what do you know, highlight somebody? Uh, even maybe Nakobe Dean, who you listed as that you're confident in as a, um, by, by the way, I've said this a couple of times. I'll say it again. I think we'll go back and look at this Georgia defense. Like we look at the LSU offense from mm. Joe Burrow's championship year, where it's like, Oh my God, they had like seven, like pro bowl caliber NFL players on there, including Nakobe Dean. Yeah. I mean, he, um, he kind of overtook Devin Lloyd late in the process for me. Cause I was very high on Lloyd from the beginning. Um, a guy that has improved in coverage. Uh, he can play sideline to sideline. He's got great ball skills. Nicobe Dean is just an incredibly intelligent player. Um, he's willing to do anything that you ask of him on defense. He'll do all the dirty work. He'll take on blocks. He'll fight down the line and, um, you know, work up upstream. I mean, he does everything that you need him to do as a linebacker. So that's why I have a little bit more confidence in his transition to the NFL, even if by standards he is a little bit undersized traditionally. I mean, he's five foot 11, 229 pounds. So traditionally undersized, but a guy that with his, the way that he approaches the game, um, his intelligence, I just don't see a way that this guy is not successful at the next level. Um, Quay Walker is a guy that, you know, on that Georgia defense was a role player for most of his career, a reserve player. Um, I think you saw this year that uh, he's capable of playing sideline to sideline as well. Um, he can fit run gaps. He can drop into coverage. I mean, this is a guy that, you know, is not quite Jordan Davis level unicorn, uh, but a guy that size speed potential, you know, is off the charts. Um, so I think you're kind of banking on what he could become given a larger sample size at the next level. 
Um, Leo Chanel, another one of those slow burn guys for me. I did not see what everybody else was seeing early in the process. And the more that I watched him, um, I started to see that. He ran a 4.53 at the combine uh, to go along with, you know, 6'2", 260 pounds. You know, he's incredible. Uh, and then Troy Anderson, you know, a guy that's just scratching the surface of what he could become. Um, he can drop into coverage, uh, but he's still learning how to work sideline to sideline and what offenses are trying to do to him. So um, another one of those guys that really still has some room to grow at the next level, even if athletically he's probably ahead of a lot of these other guys in this class. Uh, Traps, is there uh, somebody we should be worried about, uh, you know, potentially like a buyer beware type? I know that I believe uh, Josh had listed uh, Brandon Smith as his buyer beware. Is there anybody that you're worried about um, in this linebacker class, whether it's on Josh's top five or, or somebody else from the class? Brian Smith's a good one, or Brandon Smith's a good one because he misses a lot of tackles. He's that size, speed, athleticism specimen, but like almost every game, it's like three or four tackles that need to be made are not made by him. I think it's it's actually Leo Chanel from uh, Wisconsin in that if he was entering the NFL 10 years ago, I think he'd be a Patriots pick in the first or the second round and just play downhill, be that Brandon Spikes or that Willie McGinnis type. In today's NFL, I, I think he's going to be a liability in coverage right away. Now, maybe he does land with the Patriots or a team – that's just going to deploy him in that strong side linebacker role near the line of scrimmage, ask him to attack the quarterback, be a spy blitz in coverage. I didn't really see it from him. He had a couple interceptions, but they were like tip passes. Uh, so to me, someone that's, that's like Josh is saying was a slow burn, not just for him, but for the entire draft community that, that as people watched him, they saw the 40 inch vertical at the combine and said, man, this guy's probably an early day two pick. I think he's going to get onto a football field and offensive coordinators at the NFL level are going to say, let's target him in coverage and make him not just sink into coverage, but cover our tight ends and man and, and really have that spatial awareness that's needed to be good in coverage. I didn't see him have to really do that very often at Wisconsin. So for me, Leo Chanel, good player on the first two downs, but on third down over those obvious passing situations, I think he's got a ways to go. Traps, Josh listed Micah, uh, Micah McFadden as his uh, sleeper. Uh, in 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 uh, to to try and give Josh some reprieve because I can I can tell he's fighting through it. Tell me, uh, give me give me some give me give me the lowdown on Micah McFadden, and then uh, and Josh, you can jump in on your small school standout. Micah McFadden is a great selection. He reminds me so much of Josie Jewell, who went on day three to the Broncos from Iowa a few years ago, 2018 draft, I believe. Uh, Micah McFadden has the change of direction ability and the experience and effectiveness in coverage that a lot of these other more marquee linebackers just don't have in this draft class. I think he leaves a little bit to be desired athletically, but the short area quickness is so important today at the linebacker spot you have to be able to, to stop plant and drive on the football uh, his instincts are good he, he's very instinctive and assertive against taking on blocks that's really important too so I think that's a great selection someone's going to pick him third to fifth round probably a little later probably fifth round and get a starter like the Broncos got in Josie Jewell yeah and a guy that had 12.5 sacks over the past two years so you're getting a guy that's you know, can good rush answer. the passer a little bit as well. Exactly. Um, my small school standout is Troy Anderson. You know, conventionally, we would not be talking about one of my top five linebackers as a small school standout, but um, he has, you know, crossed that threshold. He's a small school player that also happens to be very good. Um, at the NFL Combine, he was one of the better performers. Uh, like I said, he still has to kind of learn the game a little bit and understand what he's seeing to react more quickly. 
but athletically, you know, we've seen the NFL be drawn to these type of players in recent years. Jamin Davis, by all accounts, you know, had some learning to do before he got into the NFL, and yet he was taken in the first round. So those teams are going to be drawn to the athleticism that Anderson brings. All right, let's move along. Great stuff, of course. Let's move along to uh, cornerback. Man, Debo really beefing up this rundown, huh? The entire defense. <laughs> it's been a whole podcast of five crappy quarterbacks. Um, I don't know why I'm complaining about Debo. Debo does a great job. Uh, although, he, although rumors, <laughs> he's demanding a trade. <laughs> uh, that's, a, that's a Debo joke. Uh, anyway, Josh, your uh, top five cornerbacks. One, Ahmad Sauce Gardner. Two, Derek Stingley Jr. Three, Kyer Elam. Four, Kyler Gordon. And five, Trent McDuffie, which is really interesting because Trent McDuffie's over under. It's currently 17 and a half. He's sort of projected to be that third corner taken. Uh, you have him at five there, though. And certainly, I think you might get nitpick the you know, Sauce and Stingley up top. Uh, talk to me about why you got Ding McD- uh, McDuffie. And no, uh, no booth either. I think it's just his size. Um, you know, traditionally he's probably, <clears throat> excuse me, more of a slot cornerback zone heavy kind of guy. Um, so I don't think he's going to be a fit for everybody. I was looking more at like, um, the players that have man coverage potential. Those are the ones that I really covet in the first round. So that's maybe why I would ding McDuffie a little bit, even though he's one of the more extinctual players in this class. Uh, traps, if you were, uh, if you're going to pound the table for, uh, uh, one of these, you know, quarterbacks, who would you go with? Well, I'm going to actually look at our rundown and see who Josh had. He had Roger McCreary, and that truly is someone that I would pick too. Okay. The, only, the only knock on Roger McCreary, his arms are 29 inches, which is really, really short for the cornerback spot, especially he played on the perimeter and he played a lot of man coverage. But his film, you ask myself, Josh, Ryan, any draft analyst, they'll tell you his film is of first-round caliber. He just kind of got knocked because he ran – only four five zero at the combine, and the arms are super duper short. I think, in terms of just maybe never being an All Pro because maybe his lack of length holds him back. That could happen with Roger McCreary, but he feels like he's going to be a ten plus year solid pro because his instincts, the twitchiness, the ball skills are all I think of first round caliber. Uh, Josh listed. Uh, Josh, you listed buyer beware on Andrew Booth out of uh, Clemson. Is it injuries or is it a skill situa- situation? Yeah, it's more of the injury. He's got a uh, core muscle situation um, surgery that he had post uh, season. So that's something that you have to be a little concerned about. Booth is one of the guys that um, played a little zone heavy in college, but I think has man coverage potential more than a lot of the guys that you would possibly get late day one, even into day two. So um, I value him as one of those guys that can become a man coverage player at the next level. Um, and then back to Roger McCreary. I mean, he was playing the SEC. Like, this is not a guy that was playing MAC level competition. You know, no offense to the MAC, but he was, you know, playing against the Jamison Williams on a weekly basis, and um, you know, was holding his own. Yeah, I mean that that matters for sure. Um, Zion McCollum, sleeper for Josh uh, Traps. You want to give a breakdown, and then Josh can jump in on his small school standout. 
Yeah, I can because I love uh, Zion McCullum. I, I have an early second round grade on him. Uh, you know, we talked about Jordan Davis acing his combine. Zion McCollum did the same. I mean, six foot two, two hundred pounds. Arms are a little bit short for being six two. I, I think they were under thirty two inches. Uh, but his film from Sam Houston State. I mean, it's kind of the opposite of playing in the SEC. His film was outstanding. There was like two plays. I believe it was against Montana, Montana State, where he like lost the football down the field, gave up some big plays. Outside of that, he was as sticky in coverage as any cornerback in this draft class. So you're watching that at the FCS level saying, okay, well, how good of an athlete is he? And then, like I mentioned, you know, he aces what he did at the combine, the 40, the three cone, the vertical, the broad jump. I think he could go as early as the second round and has that athletic makeup along with the coverage instincts to be a really good pro for a long time. Yeah, I mean, you know, running a four three three at the NFL Combine at that size is absolutely incredible. Um, you know, and I could have gone with him as my small school standout, but we do not accept the bare minimum here at the Pick Six Podcast. Okay, so oh, I, I did, sure, my friend, we, we accept <laughs> the bare minimum here. So I dug a little bit deeper. I went to Fayetteville State uh, for Joshua Williams, who is also six foot two, uh, one ninety three, and ran or sorry. 195 and ran a 451 at the NFL Combine. So you're talking about that size, that speed. You typically do not see that at that level of, of competition. So um, he's going to have a transition, obviously, that's going to be a little bit more difficult than some of these other guys that played against SEC competition. Um, but when you're looking at traits that you can work with at the next level, uh, Williams has some that you can get excited about. I dig it. All right, let's uh, wrap up with safeties. Your top five safeties, Josh. No surprise. Kyle Hamilton, one. Jalen Petrie, two. Lewis Seen. Is it Seen or Sign? Seen. 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 Cool. I should, have just, I should have just kept talking just to let y'all interrupt me if I've got it wrong. Uh, Dax, <laughs> Lewis, Lewis Seen. Now I'm scared I'll get it wrong here. <laughs> Jeez Louise. Uh, Lewis Seen at three. Daxon Hill at four. And Jaquan Brisker at five. Um, yeah, last been made to Kyle Hamilton. I think um, it's been reported or discussed that if he's there at 11, the commanders or the commandos or whatever the hell they're calling themselves are going to sprint to the podium to grab uh, Kyle Hamilton. Seems like he is going to fall a little bit further in the draft than maybe early mock drafts uh, had it, had it going, but you know, he's been discussed a lot. I think people might be more curious uh, Josh to hear about the guy you would pound the table for in Jalen Petrie. Yeah. Jalen Petrie and Daxton Hill were a few of the safeties that I watched late in the process or got back around to late in the process. I'd already watched them, but um, for me, Petrie is just a guy that's always around the football. Um, he's a highly productive, <clears throat> highly productive player that uh, you just feel confident is going to have success at the next level. Um, like Daxton Hill, he can play slot cornerback, so he gives you a little bit of that versatility. Um, and really, I'm liking this safety class a lot more than what I would have expected at the beginning of this process because I love Hamilton. I love Scene, I love Petrie. I love Daxton Hill. So, you know, there's a lot of guys to be excited about. And I think you can get good value even into the later portion of day two. So really good uh, safety class um, that we have this year. And it, it's it's probably better than what we've seen in the last couple of years. Uh, Josh's had Jaquan Brisker as his buyer beware. And then his sleeper was Kirby Joseph. Traps, uh, give me the little rundown on old uh, Kirby, K-E-R-B-Y, which is just a, an abomination. To, yeah, uh, Kirby, all, all Kirby's out there. Yeah, seriously. Kirby Joseph, uh, super long, over 33-inch arms. Wow. Uh, and 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 it it shows on film. He's really that deep middle of the field free safety 
going to take an extra second to recognize what's happening. If it's a run play, if it's play action, if it's not, but if you just let him roam the deep middle, maybe the, the, the intermediate portion of the field and play the football, watch the quarterback's eyes. He's going to have a lot of interceptions. He had a bunch of them last year, I believe four or five interceptions. And with that length, with his fluidity that he shows to be able to turn, flip those hips, um, find the football, I think is outstanding. It's a really good selection. He could go as high as the second or third round, um, but for that specific role to just be that deep middle safety, that free safety that we don't really see too frequently come out in the draft that high, that has high level range. That is Kirby Joseph from Illinois. And your uh, small school sleeper, Josh, Mark, uh, Mark spell. Yeah. He's kind of got linebacker size. Um, you yeah. know, so he's one of those overhang linebackers essentially where, uh, he may be listed as a safety. He may be drafted as a safety, but he's probably going to be playing down in the box quite a bit. Um, from Florida A&M, I think he's probably mid to late day three somewhere. But um, when you're looking for players that could serve certain roles at the next level, Marquise Bell is a guy that um, can give you a little bit more in the box while not sacrificing too much in coverage. I dig it. Um, man, we ripped through the entire Defensive side of the ball in this draft in less than an hour. Amazing work by you two. I mean, Lord knows. Anyway, I'm not going to rip the quarterbacks anymore. I'm tired of these quarterbacks. I want Desmond Ritter to be the first quarterback taken, then nobody else in the first round. And everybody's like, what the hell just happened? <laughs> um, anyway, this defensive class is going to be very important. Tons of edge guys up top. And, of course, we'll be back uh, tomorrow to discuss offensive prospects. So make sure to subscribe, rate, and review for traps for josh i'm brinson thanks for watching thanks for listening we will see you guys later the perfect combination of versatile athleisure and training apparel has arrived thanks to the visionary minds of new balance clutch athletics and rich paul the designs reflect the heart of the athlete and the spirit of the community with rising defensive stars will anderson and chase young on the roster clutch athletics brings the best innovative gear to all athletes giving them style and performance on and off the field. Learn more and purchase Clutch Athletics at newbalance.com.